Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Guys, I'm glad you're here. We are continuing in our Rally Cry series. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but that is where, that's the largest chunk of scripture that we're going to go over and we're going to kind of walk through it. And I would love if you could read it with me as we get there. Um, we're covering our core values as a church in this series. And the reason we're doing that is honestly the same reason that Jimmy Johnson gave that speech at halftime last week. Um, he's trying to rally the troops around the things that truly matter. Hopefully this speech is more effective than that one, because that didn't do us much good. Um, but hear me, the weight, the stakes are far higher for this than any wild card playoff football game. Because what's at stake here and why we're rallying behind these core values, what is at stake is the very health of our church. And what comes with the very health of our church is eternal souls are at stake. And so that's why we're rallying. The health of our church is at stake. In, 18, in the 1830s, the average sized man in the Netherlands, the average height for a Dutch man was about five foot four. Average height for a Dutch man. Today, the average height for a Dutch man is a little over six feet tall. Significant growth, right? The significant difference. A lot of experts believe that's because the reason for this growth is a difference in nutrition. We got these things, vitamins now, and you know, healthier food, I guess, and uh, you know, stuff like that. We got better medical care, reasons. It's, it's all about nutrients. It's all about things that cause us to grow taller now. What's the difference? Well, it was, it was these things that are being input into us. My son Shepard is about, he just turned three months old, right? And uh, he, right now, exclusively eats milk. That's, exclu- that's all he eats. And think about this, like this kid has his favorite meal like every three hours. I mean, can you imagine? Like, that? I mean, his favorite thing in the world, every about three hours. The kid, is, he's got it made in the shade, right? The kid is awesome. But here's the deal. He needs milk in order to grow. If we stopped feeding him or fed him half as much as we do right now, it would affect his growth. He thought when we stopped feeding him about 4 a.m. this morning. That's when he, he thought, he was like, you guys are neglecting me. Um, he needs milk in order to grow. Growth is critical to us as humans. Um, in its physical form, it's critical to us as babies and as children. But in its spiritual form, it is critical to us individually, but also us collectively as a church that we grow as followers of Jesus. And that's why this is one of our core values. When our leadership selected our core values, they didn't just like pull them out of thin air and think, well, connect, grow, serve, serve, celebrate God's word. They didn't just like pull these out of the air and they're like, well, I guess those sound good. Those would look good on a poster. Like we'll make those our core church values. No, there was biblical reasoning behind these values. And so we're talking about growth today. In Colossians 1 verses 28 through 29, the apostle Paul is saying this, him, re, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is saying, the purpose of my ministry is to present you as mature in Christ. The purpose of that church is to present those people mature in Christ. The game plan hasn't changed. The purpose of this church is to lead you to the Lord and then present you to the Lord mature in Christ, to disciple you, to grow you. 
That's what Paul's ministry was about, and that's what we're doing, what we're doing. Some of you maybe accepted Christ in this church, maybe in the other building years ago, maybe some of you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, surrendered to him as, in, as the head of your life in this room. Maybe that happened to you. What I pray and what I hope is that we didn't just lead you to the Lord and then just like toss you out on the street like a baby, just abandoned. Hopefully you were met with discipleship. Hopefully, whether it was by an individual or maybe it was a ministry within our church, our goal is not to just lead you to the Lord. Our goal is to present you mature in Christ before the Lord. Growth is our goal. As Paul would say, maturity is our goal. Hear me, your church attendance is not the goal. That's not the goal. The size of this congregation getting larger is not the goal. Jason has said more times than I can remember, large church is not the goal, small church is not the goal, healthy church is the goal. That's what we're looking towards. That's what we're working for. And when you accept Christ, you need to grow out of biblical infancy because there's work for us to do. And we need mature believers to do it. The kingdom needs us to grow into being able to handle the weight of discipleship. It needs us to, the kingdom needs us to grow into being able to handle the weight of discerning God's word, of discerning the things going on around us, of leading. Some of us, maybe God is calling you, leading you to be a pastor, to be a missionary. God needs you to grow out of biblical infancy so that you can step into those callings. The kingdom needs us to grow so that we can handle that weight. Jesus did not save us for us to just continue wallowing in the pit of sin and shame and honestly uselessness that we were in. He's calling us to a higher way of living and a better way of understanding. Some of us claim to have been saved years and years ago, right? And yet we still have not grown out of that biblical infancy. We have not, got, we have not progressed in our relationship with the Lord. I don't know if y'all have ever had a coaching conversation. I grew up playing sports. Um, played basketball in high school, and I remember uh, these coaching conversations aren't aren't always fun. Um, I remember my coach had a conversation with me. It was on my 14th birthday. Um, I was playing up on the varsity team, and I got put in to the game. Uh, Everyone had to have fouled out or something, uh, or everybody was hurt for me to get in. Um, I don't know what what went wrong, um, but something went drastically wrong, and they put me in the game, and I think I got in for maybe two minutes, I think I contributed like four turnovers and like three fouls. I was absolutely useless, right? Did nothing positive. And my coach after the game, on my 14th birthday, mind you, in front of all of my friends, all of my teammates, all these guys I looked up to, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, JD, do you not see the defense? Or do you see them and you just throw it anyway? I imagine Mike McCarthy had a similar conversation with Dak Prescott this past week. I don't know. It's not always fun, but from those conversations can come growth, which is a good thing. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter two and going into chapter 3, is having a coaching conversation with the church of, of Corinth. And we're going to read it, and I just want you to think about this. Paul initially went to Corinth whenever, it was around 50 AD. He went and planted this church. He went to this church, and he fell in love with these people led them to Jesus around 50 AD. This letter is written about five years later, just for context. So we're gonna read it. We're gonna read 1 Corinthians 2. We're gonna read verses one all the way through chapter three, verse four. So we got a little ways to go. So y'all bear with me, okay? And it says this. And I, when I came to you, brothers. So he calls them brothers. These are people that have surrendered to Jesus. People who are Christians. 
He said, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing except you, decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's saying, I didn't come to Corinth preaching a, teaching a seminary class. We weren't walking through the deeper, finer theological points of scripture. I came as an evangelist. I came and I taught a new believer's class. I told you about Jesus and him crucified and what that means for us. That's what I came to teach you about. I didn't use fancy words, I told you the basics. In verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's saying, saying, I spoke to you the way that I would speak to spiritual babies. The reality is I, my three-month-old son, I speak differently to him than I do to my best buddy, Wes. You know, they're on two completely different levels, intellectually, spiritually, like English speaking. Like there's, there's different levels, right? Like I will sing Jesus loves me to my son. I don't sing Jesus loves me to Wes. That would be sweet though, wouldn't it? Oh, man, wouldn't that grow our relationship? That'd be awesome. Maybe this week. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I talk with Wes about the best way to communicate a message. I do not consult my son on that. They're they're on different levels in in their understanding and in their development. In verse 6, and this is what Paul is saying, verse 6, yet among the mature, among those who have grown, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received the Spirit of the world, of the world but not, now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. So Paul is saying, these are deep things I want to talk to you about, but the problem is in verse 14, we see this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself, he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ Beginning of chapter three, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul is saying, I want to talk to some spiritual people. I want to share some spiritual things. And I led you to the Lord five years ago, and I still can't talk to you about this stuff. We should be past this. And we're still here. I'm just surrounded by a bunch of natural people. Verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. And even now, you're still not ready. Five years later, you're still not ready. For you are still 
of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh or, and behaving only in a human way? For when it says, I, for one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? Paul planted this church five years ago, and he's telling them we should be over this stuff by now. This is a coaching conversation that Paul is having with this church. And I believe this is stuff that we can take and we can hear it and we can apply it to our hearts too because there are some of us who need to grow. It's been too long. Church, we have always preached and we will always preach the true gospel of Christ's incarnation, of his coming here to earth as, a full, as fully God and fully man. We will always, always preach that. We will always preach of his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice on the cross. We will always preach the salvation that's found in that cross and trusting in Jesus. And I, all of us who will truly repent from our sins and surrender to his lordship will be saved. We believe that, and that's a free gift. We will always preach of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We will always preach of his ascension. We will always preach the truth that one day he will return in power and in victory. We believe that, and we will always preach that. And we will always preach that this salvation that we can find is found, and it is a free gift from God. Nothing we do earns it. We will always preach that. But here we are. We're always going to preach the, the doctrine of justification, of sanctification, and of glorification. Justification is that moment that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You surrender to his lordship in your life. In that moment, it is like as if God sees you as completely clean because he sees your life covered in the righteousness of Christ. In that moment, it's just as if I'd never sinned. God sees me as if I'd never sinned because he sees me as Jesus who never sinned. That's how he sees me. I'm justified. And one day I'm going to be glorified. Glorification is the moment whenever after you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you die, you go to be in glory with Jesus. That's an amazing day. And we will always preach about that coming glorification for all who would accept Christ. And if I, I accepted Christ as a five-year-old boy, I surrendered my life to him. If I live to be 100, I will have been waiting 95 years for my glorification. But if you accept Christ on your deathbed and you follow him for five minutes, you are just as glorified. And you will still go to be with the Lord in glory. But in between that justification and that glorification is the word that confuses most of us. And it is sanctification. And if I could rename the doctrine of sanctification, I'm not going to, but if I could, uh, seminary process, I'm not renaming sanctification, okay? But if I could, I would call it the doctrine of growth. The doctrine of growth. It's the most relevant to this message. The doctrine of growth after you surrender to Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And make no mistake, God is the one who initiates the growth. God is the one who initiates the sanctification. We are not, we're not striving, chasing after God, and he's running from us. He's the one who's pursuing us, and we're walking with him. He is pursuing us. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So he initiates the growth in your life. Do not come through the doors today thinking, well, I went to church and the pastor said what I thought he would say. I got to do better. Jesus is the one who initiates the growth. However, however, there is work for us to do. My, my wife, whenever she initiates feeding my son, 
She initiates it, but he has to do the swallowing. He has to receive it. He has to accept it. There is work on him. My wife initiates it, but he has to receive it. It's a similar thing. God began a good work, and he will complete it. But Paul said to the Philippians later, he said, he commanded the church in, in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We've said it before, say it again. Christianity is not a cruise ship. We're not just flowing through life until one day we're glorified. We are, we're receiving the nourishment of the Lord and we're applying it to our lives. That's what we're doing. We will always preach that salvation is free and true. However, we will always also preach that you need to continue to work out your salvation. As you walk with Jesus, you'll find that the Holy Spirit, as you continually wake up day in, day out, reading God's word, studying, applying his word to your life, you'll find that the Holy Spirit begins to shift and mold and change the way that you see the world and what you're thinking about and what you're desiring. He changes it, and that's sanctification. And he's the one. Who, 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 who encourages you. He's, if you walk with Jesus, he's gonna convict sin. He's going to challenge you in different areas. He is the voice that challenges, when, challenges you whenever you wanna snap at your wife or kids. He's the one that challenges you whenever you wanna put down a coworker. He's the one who encourages you when it seems like the world is falling down around you. He's the one who breaks the chains of addiction in your life. He's the one who breaks the chains of sin in your life. He's the one that provides a way out whenever you're tempted. But when those moments come, you have to listen. You have to choose to obey and surrender. He's already opened the prison doors. He's already conquered the grave. And he didn't do that so that we would just continue to sit in the prison and sit in the grave clothes. You who are in Christ, hear me. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. You are free. You're free from alcoholism. You're free from addiction. You're free from pornography. You're free from lies. You're free from pride. You're free from the lies you say. You're free from the lies you believe. You're free. You're, you're free from any spiritual bondage that you could possibly imagine. You're free because he broke prison and he broke death and he, he walked out of the grave. We saw him do it. We are witnesses to this. He did that. Now, if we, he broke the prison that we're all sitting in and he walked out, shouldn't we follow him out? Shouldn't we follow him? Our chains have fallen off. Let's go. Some of you may be thinking, well, JD, this is, this is harder than you're making it seem like. Like, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the state of my marriage. You don't know the, how long I've dealt with this addiction. And you're just gonna sit here and say that I'm free from it? You're just gonna say that I can grow past this? Yes. Somebody's gotta declare that over you. The spirit of you is more powerful than the spirit that's in the world. He who is in me is more powerful than he that is in the world. There is freedom. We don't have to be people that are like, woe is me because I'm in prison. The door's open. We can walk out. But there's truth here, it is hard. Because there's a reality of sanctification. It is not instantaneous. 
It is not instantaneous. It's impossible for it to be instantaneous because if you think about it, growing close to the Lord, you can never get... You can never get to the point where you're so close to God, you cannot grow any further. So how would you instantaneously get there? You wouldn't. It takes time. It's not instantaneous. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord today, I cannot promise that the temptation of sin stops tomorrow. I cannot promise that your marriage will be fixed in a week. You know the best way to defeat sin? Know God's word. God's word says, I hide your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus, whenever he was being tempted by Satan, quoted scripture to God, or to Satan. Brother, that's bad, yeah. (laughs) He quoted scripture to Satan to avoid temptation. But you know, if you want to know God's word, you got to read God's word. It's It's not a small book. You're probably not going to do this in a day. you got a lifetime to read this, to study it, to know it. And I believe as you, that you find as you invest in this and as you invest in your relationship with the Lord, it, it changes you. And you find freedom. It's not instantaneous. It takes time. It takes work. But I promise you, this word never returns void. What sanctification looks like This isn't fun to hear, but what it looks like is long obedience. It looks like I'm going to daily choose to do the small things that God has called me to do. You're like, well, I've got some big issues. God is called and challenging us and encouraging us to do the long obedience of, okay, well, I I might not be able to, to quit doing whatever for all of my life right now, but you know what? I cannot, I can, I can choose to follow Jesus today. And in this moment, I'm not going to woo my wife with a new Lexus in the driveway. So many husbands try to woo their wives with these big vacations and these big moments, but you know what might be more effective in your marriage? If before you, uh, you come home from work tired and before you step through the door, maybe you say a prayer saying, God, help me minister to my wife and my children today. Help me to pour myself out in for them. Help me to pursue them. Help me to deal kindly with my spouse. Help me to, to get, offer grace when I feel like I've been wronged. Help me to do this daily. And tell me that wouldn't change your marriage more than Alexis. Because Alexis comes with a huge car payment. She's not going to love that. <laughs> tell me that wouldn't change things. But that's the same way with God. We're not asking for huge, massive craziness. Like, I'm not asking you to sell your house and give all your proceeds to to the poor. I'm asking you to daily wake up and be like, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? How can I serve you today? It's not instantaneous, but it is so powerful. Two things I would say on this, though, and it's two things our culture hates. If we want to grow, we need to be proactive and we need to be patient. Two things we hate. Being proactive and being patient. Some of us feel discouraged, like we have no growth in our life. And I speak to them, and they're like, okay, I just feel like I'm doing the same old stuff I've always been doing, and I can't change. And I sit with them in my office, and I'm like, hey, I offer them this, this encouragement that comes in an assessment. Are you closer to the Lord now than you were a year ago? Are you reading your Bible more now than you were maybe five years ago? If you are, and these things, that's kind of evidence of sanctification. 
It's, it's not instantaneous. You're not like, oh man, I'm just like a saint. I was Hitler and now I'm, uh, I'm like the best, I'm Billy Graham. It's not one of those things. You're beginning your process of sanctification, of growth over time. And you evaluate yourself. Am I, did I used to read God's word maybe once a week and now I look back and I don't know how I survived reading God's word only once a week? That is proof of sanctification. That's proof of growth, but it takes being proactive and it takes being patient. Man, some of you are like, I'm, I'm struggling. Look at your life. Are you moving? It's not, always in, it's not always massive growth, but it is constant growth. Things to evaluate yourself on. If you're in Christ, you should be moving slowly but constantly towards Jesus. If you're not, frankly, you might be alive, but you need to get a move on because the, the kingdom has things for us to accomplish. Next thing I see, life without growth is sad and pitiful. It's like the classic picture of, uh, you know, the 42-year-old man living in his mom's basement playing video games, eating Cheetos, you know? If that's you today, I'm sorry. I used you as an illustration. Um, but frankly, you're wasting your life, man. There's, more, there's potential. There's an opportunity. Get a job. Get, you know, like, get, do something. Do something with your life. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14 the writer of Hebrews says this to the, to the Hebrew church. About this we have much to say. It's hard to explain, though, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for the mature, for those who have, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, the Hebrew church was founded around 33 AD. And this letter is written around 60 AD. That's 27 years. The writer is like, we need to be further along. Some of you ought to be teaching and you're still sitting at the kids' table. I need you to be leading. I need you to be teaching. I need you to be discerning. Church, can I say this in love? Some of us who have been known Jesus for decades are without excuse for our lack of investment in others. Our lack of discipleship in others. We're without excuse for our primitive, basic, undeveloped understanding of God's word. Some of us who are in Christ are taking our directions from the world who opposes God. We're more discipled by, we're being discipled by TikTok and Facebook. There's an enemy in this world, hear me, whose absolute goal is to, even if you have accepted Christ, his goal then shifts from keeping you from knowing Christ to all of a sudden keeping you stagnant. Because he does not want you to develop, because if you develop, you become effective for the kingdom. And so his goal is to keep you in place. And some of you are like, well, I just, okay, JD, I'm going to give myself an evaluation. I don't feel like I've moved in years. This is one, some of you guys are wondering where these ladders are coming in, all right? This is the moment, okay? Right here, we're going to call this the ladder of the world. Ladder of the world. Right here, we're going to call this the ladder of the word. Maybe you accepted Christ, and you're just standing on the ground, and you accept Christ, and you get a basic understanding of Jesus, and you're like, okay, this is awesome. Cool. I'm saved. I know Christ this is great. And then you, maybe you just look like, okay, I'm going to grow a little bit. I'm going to study. I'm going to read, do a quiet time, maybe I'll come to church, 
you know, twice a month. That's, a, that's very committed to church nowadays, twice a month. I'm going to come, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm just kind of stuck here. And there's, you know, I would love to grow, but, like, it's kind of tough, you know, whenever you're trying to do this. Growth is hard, guys. I don't know if y'all know that. And you're just like, I can't even, I'm not flexible enough to grow. Pastor, growth is so difficult and uncomfortable. Can I suggest something? What might be effective to getting higher to growing in your relationship with the Lord, maybe, is to let go of the world and cling to the word. What if we step over here and we just climb and we find that Jesus begins to pour into our lives and invest in us more? And here's the beauty of this. This is a short ladder. Like, it could go higher and I could get more scared. But the reality is whenever, <laughs> whenever you're growing with Jesus, this ladder is infinite. You, there's no limit to the freedom that you can experience. There's no limit to the understanding that you can gain. There's no limit to, to the grace that you can receive. There's no limit to the, just the power of who he is. And it blows your mind, and you're like, why was I ever down there? Some of us need to let go of the world and embrace the word, embrace who Jesus is. And hear me, growth is not found in, in a plan. It's not found in a six-step process. Growth is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And later it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. Growth is found here. Sanctification is found in letting go of this and climbing that. But what happens if we stay right where we are? What are the dangers of not growing? Well, the first one is this, and I'm going to have to speed up here because we got excited, okay? Um, what are the dangers of not growing? The first one is stupidity. Stupidity. Some of you are like, well, that's kind of a harsh word. Like, you want to cover your kid's ears. Like, you're not supposed to say that word. Um, Come on, J.D., that's a bit extreme. If we're stupid, we don't grow. Like, the Bible wouldn't use that kind of language. Oh, really? Uh, we're all going to read this together. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is... Let's try that again. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is... Stupid. stupid. We're stupid if we don't grow in our relationship with God. We, find, we make ourselves out to be idiots. Because we go to work, and we work, and we stay at home, and, and people watch us, and they're like, you say you believe stuff, but you don't apply it. We look like morons when we do that. If you don't want to look stupid, we have tons of stupid Christians in this generation. Tons of them. We have a stupid generation of believers. We love God's word as long as it doesn't challenge us. We love God's word as long as it doesn't convict sin. We love preaching as long as it confirms my biases. We don't like it so much when preaching steps on our toes. We love accountability that never pries into our personal life. We don't like it as much when accountability calls out our sin or our selfishness or our pride or our lust or our gossip or our slander. Our hatred, our lies, or our false beliefs. We don't like it when accountability does that. John 15 gives us an image of the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He talks about how we are to abide in him 
And he talks about how we need to submit to the vine dresser who will prune us, remove dead weight from our lives, remove sin from our lives. He challenges us, he convicts us, and he will change us. But when we refuse to submit ourselves to the vine dresser, we make ourselves out to be stupid. The next danger I see is selfishness. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. If we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we will begin to look more and more like Christ. And there is nobody more selfless than Jesus. If we're growing spiritually, we'll begin, to, to, uh, we'll begin acting more and more selfless. But if we uh, refuse to grow, we find ourselves acting more and more selfish. Think about this. If you are constantly dwelling on the goodness and grace and mercy of our God, like if you wake up every morning and you're like, okay, let me just take a, a self-evaluation of who I am and who God is and everything. And you, you woke up and you're like, okay, my name is J.D. Lowry. John David Lowry, I was, I'm dust, like made of dirt. Like I, I, to dust I am, to dust I shall return. Like I, I'm dust who sinned against God, who created me, who breathed life into me, who, who's provided for me. I sinned against him. And because of that, I deserve death. But because of his love for me, he sent his son, being God, down here to earth to live a perfect life, a life I couldn't live and to die a death I couldn't die for my sake and offered me a path to salvation, if I would simply surrender to him and trust in him, I could experience life, and not just life, but life to abundantly. And he laid himself down for me. If we did that, how could we live selfishly? Who are we to do that? When God did not look out for his own concerns, but cared so much to look out for mine, how could I be so selfish to only look out for my own life? and only my own concerns. As far as I'm concerned, I'm dead anyway. For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I'm dead and my life is Christ, who am I to tell Christ what to do with his life? He's in control. The next danger I see is bondage. When we fail to grow, we fail to truly understand the freedom that we have in Jesus. I've known more than a few believers who unfortunately were like that baby tossed out in the street. Somebody led them to the Lord and then never discipled them and they had no idea what they got shared with. Like, they have no idea what Jesus even means for them. And so they accepted Christ and then they continue to live in the bondage of sin and they're just like, okay, God is gonna save me one day eternally because of who Jesus is, but right now I'm just kind of stuck. I'm just a sinner. There's no room to grow. There's nothing to do. I'm just stuck here. That is not the gospel. See, Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free card that one day you're going to cash in and is completely useless to you before you're dead. Jesus saved you in his grace and in his mercy yet for eternity, yes, but for now. For you to recognize you don't have to dwell in sin anymore. You are free. The chains are broken. Walk out of the prison. Not one day, but today. And not for eternity, but for now. That's who Jesus is. And whenever we don't realize that, whenever we don't grow past the point of one day he's going to save me, we miss the point of the fact that we don't have to be in bondage right now. 
you've never learned that, he loves you so much more than just saving you for eternity. He loves you right now. He cares about your situation right now. He cares about the pain that you're going through. He cares about the, the marital issues in your life. He cares about the cancer in your life. He cares about the sin. He cares about the shame. He cares about you right now and for eternity. That's how good our God is, and that's how much he loves you. The next thing, danger of it, is ineffectiveness. If you fail to grow, you will never accomplish what the kingdom needs you to accomplish. There's nothing sadder to me than a, uh, a funeral of somebody who did nothing of significance, who meant nothing of significance. And I, like you, would never say that at a funeral, but the, you, you know what I'm talking about. Whenever you show up at a funeral and somebody gets up to talk about the person who's passed, and they're like, yeah, I remember this one time. We got hammered drunk at whatever thing, and that was, that was cool. He's a good guy. Big Cowboys fan, you know? Is there anything sadder than being a big Cowboys fan? <laughs> and, like, that's the sum of who you are? Like, so much so that, like, that's the focus of, like, a, a funeral. Like, man, this is who they are. He's a big Cowboys fan. That's a losing franchise. There's better things. Hear me. There's bigger, better things in store for you than being somebody who, who tells crude jokes or gets drunk at concerts or is a Cowboys fan. And I think some of us have just been conditioned to believe, well, this is just who I am. This is what I do. You know, I'm just a guy, just, I'm just a girl, I just live my life, I, I got a wife and kids, so I got a husband, I got grandkids, and they're cool, and like, you know, but I love poetry, or I love this, or it's like there's, there's more. What's something that's beautiful to me is a funeral of a person, a saint who invested and poured their lives into others, and the room is full of folks who are like, that person led me to the Lord, that person taught me Sunday school, that person invested in me, they discipled me, they poured into me, they, they, they selflessly gave for me to do whatever thing, to, they invested, they gave, they were so selfless. That's a beautiful funeral, and that's a person who didn't waste their life. Ineffectiveness comes whenever we refuse to grow. You know, our church is not effective if we're not growing. If we individually are not growing, whenever people speak, speak about us, I hope that they speak of a church that loves our community and then invests in the people around us. But failing to grow makes us ineffective, and we do not want that to be our story as a church. We want to be in a church that makes an eternal impact. Not a church that, that has a Super Bowl of preaching, right? Like, the, that's not what we want to hang our hat on. It's awesome. You should be there. It's going to be great. But that's not what we want to hang our hat on. Are we discipling? Are we investing? Are we growing people? Are we bringing them into the fold? Are we presenting them mature in Christ? That's what God has called us to do. The last danger I want to cover today is failing to grow causes collateral damage. Fathers, Husbands, your wives, your kids need to see you growing in your relationship with the Lord. They need to see it. They need you to be the one that is leading the charge to church on Sundays, Wednesdays, whenever. Like, they need you to be the one that's leading the charge. It makes a, a huge impact. Mothers, moms, women, your children, your husband, they need to see you walk in humble submission to the Lord. They need to see you worship. 
A few weeks ago, Jason really challenged all of us to like raise our hands and worship and do this thing. You have no idea the amount of stories I heard of children and wives with their minds blown that their husband was engaging in worship. It changes things, it grows, it has collateral damage. As a father, as a mother, if you say, I love Jesus and I surrender my life to him, but every time he asks me to do something, I'm not gonna do it, what does that communicate? Imagine if nobody in this church knew how to share the gospel. God has used many people in this church to reach many people for the kingdom, and I praise the Lord for that. He's used so many of you to engage in discipleship and do these things. But imagine if none of us knew how. Imagine if none of us grew in our relationship with the Lord. We would fail to grow. Our discipleship is weaker if we do that. Our evangelism is weaker. Our missions are weaker. Our giving is weaker. Our outreach is weaker. Our culture would be weaker because of all this. Our impact would be weaker. And so if we want the antithesis of that, if we want the, the opposite of that, if, if growth, if a lack of growth equals a weaker church, an influx of growth would equal a stronger, more effective church that makes a bigger impact in our community, that leads more people to the Lord, that disciples more people, that presents more people mature before the Lord on the day of Christ Jesus. This is not a church that wants to have a weak impact. We want to be, gosh, we want to, that's why it's rally cry. We want to rally to this. We want to make a difference in our workplace and in our schools. So there's a reality. Growth is necessary. And if we want to make a big impact, we need to grow, not just as a church, but you, me, personally, we need to grow. But growth does not just happen. You may be tempted to push back on this and be like, growth seems very natural. Like, you're like, okay, you're, like, babies grow naturally, trees grow naturally. And that's true to an extent. My son would not grow if we didn't feed him. Trees would not grow if not for water and for sun. See, there has to be an influx of energy to make something grow. Nobody wakes up and is instantly an NFL quarterback, has the ability to do that. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up and instantly has the ability to run a Fortune 500 company. Capabilities like that take years of effort and years of investment to get there. And we live in a world that wants understanding instantly. We live in a world that, that wants maturity without time and without effort, but that's not how the world works. We want benefits without investment. Growth doesn't just happen, but growth comes from God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We live in Western Christianity with this whole like weird social media celebrity Christian culture. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Um, like we like to say, well, I love, you know, John Piper or Matt Chandler or Craig Rochelle or Carrie Newhoff or Jenny Allen or Jen Wilkin or Priscilla Shire or David Platt or Jason Collins or... Tony Evans, Robert Jeffress, Skip Heidzik, or Jack Graham, Steve Stroop. You know, I love to read C.S. Lewis, or A.W. Tozer, or Martin Lloyd-Jones, or W.A. Criswell, or Al Mohler, or Adrian Rogers, or Mark Dever, or J.D. Greer, N.T. Wright, R.C. Sproul, Larry Osborne, or our boy Shane Pruitt. You're like, I love to read these guys. And the, I love to read a lot of those guys, and I love to listen to a lot of those guys. But you could read all of them, and you could listen to all of their sermons of all these people and still miss out on what God has for you. Because none of these preachers can grow your life. I cannot grow your life. I can plant, I can water, but God gives the growth. You need to be abiding, abiding in the vine, who is Jesus. And the vine is grown by, by, by water and sustenance. The vine is grown whenever you 
like a tree is grown whenever it plugs into the S-U-N, but we, we grow whenever we plug into the S-O-N, being Jesus. He's the vine. Whenever we abide in him, he abides in us, and that's when growth comes. Real quick, what are some hindrances to growth? The first one I see is pride. Adam would have never stopped growing in the Lord had he not, had pride not entered his heart and him sinned against God. He would still be growing. The next hindrance I see is in the same line as being inauthentic. There's no accountability group in the world that will work if you lie about it. The first step in growing is admitting that you have growth to do, and if you fail to see that, then you're not gonna grow and you're just lying to yourself. I pray that, that uh, I pray to God, and if I only pray to God and, and talk about how awesome I'm doing, I'm just lying to God. And he's not an idiot, he sees, like he knows. And I'm just you know, hindering myself from growth. The next obstacle I see is distractions or lies. Hebrews 12, one and two, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oftentimes I fail to do this. God's called me to run a race, I'm in a lane, and I like to look around to see what everybody else is doing. Well, I wish I was in that lane. That lane looks way more fun than this lane. I wish I had that job, or I wish I had that opportunity, or that engagement, or I wish I was this person, or I had this opportunity, I wish I had this job. And in reality, God has set a lane before me. And if I'm looking around, I'm not running. With my eyes fixed upon Christ, that's what he has called us to do. The distractions are all just distractions. I mentioned before, a lot of us are discipled by TikTok or Fox News or MSNBC. They're like, you know, if you turn on there, it's all bad news all the time. They're like, we're all gonna die and the world's gonna end. And I'm like, since when is that news? You are all gonna die. I don't know what you thought this was or we're all gonna die. So why are we even worried about this stuff? You've got a mission, you've got a lane, run ahead with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Focus on him. So those are the hindrances. Real quick, what are some agents of growth? This is called a rally cry. So we're trying to, to rally behind these things. How are some ways I can grow in my relationship with the Lord? First one is this, walk in humility. See your life right now as the floor of where God wants to take you. And I'm not talking financially or health, wealth, gospel. Like I don't believe in any of that. Um, like, he might grow you and he might bring an increase, but it might not be dollars, right? Like, it might be investment that you're making in people. It might be like something your, your children do. It might be somebody you disciple that one day God chooses to use them in a very powerful way. God still used you in that moment and God is, that, that's the floor that you're at. That's where you're at and God can use you. We can grow. Maybe a year from now, 10 years from now, you look back on the person you are today and you're like, wow, I was a moron. <laughs> I, I only read, like, I, I can't imagine how in the world I only read my Bible once a week or once a month. I can't imagine how in the world I only went to church this much. I, I wouldn't survive like that anymore. That is poor proof of growth, but that's also proof of humility. Approach God with humility. The next thing, have honesty. Tell the truth to the Lord and others. When a friend asks you how you're doing, be honest. When you're praying to the Lord, be honest. When you're preaching the gospel, be honest. Listen, my name is J.D. Lyra, I was a sinner. 
saved by grace at the age of five years old. I gave my life to Jesus and he changed it. And he, and he has ownership over my life and he saved my soul, not just for eternity, but for now. But that's not because of who I am, it's because of what he's done. And that's an honest gospel presentation. Speak honestly with people. Tell me that didn't change the world. Tell me that didn't change the way you see the world. Tell me that didn't grow you. The last one is this hunger. It sounds silly, we're all hungry. We just don't all realize it. Um, guys, I'm dead without Jesus. Period, end of story. I'm dead without Christ, and here's the reality, so are you. I'm starving without Jesus. John 6, verse 35, and says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Check this out. Some of us have partaken of the bread of life. I believe, I mean, lots of us are believers in the room. Praise God for that. He saved your soul. That's amazing. You took a bite of the bread of life, and it changed your world, changed your life. You've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, and that's amazing. I love that. But some of us, we're content with the one bite. Some of us are treating Jesus like the little cracker that we, we pass at communion. And like, this is the Jesus that you get and enjoy it. It's kind of stale. The grape juice is weird. Enjoy this. But Jesus is so much more than that. He's so much, he can give so much more sustenance than that. He is the bread of life. He is a never-ending buffet. Hunger, thirst for the Lord, taste and see that he is good and then taste and see that he is good and then taste and see that he is good and then taste and see that he is good. Go to him daily. Pursue a relationship with him. Climb this never-ending ladder, letting go of the world, climbing the word and find that it never runs dry. You'll never be hungry again. So many of us feel like, okay, I tasted the bread of life, but I'm still hungry. What's the deal? I said I'm never hungry. He's never ending. The deal with every other loaf of bread is that it ends. Jesus is the bread of life who never ends. One bite can save you, but multiple bites can grow you, and we're called to grow. Taste and see that he is good. Consume the bread of life and grow. God, you're good. You're faithful. You're never ending. You're never changing. You're never forsaking, God. You pursue us. Lord, I pray that we as a church, that we as individuals would abide in you. And we know that your promise is true, that you'll abide in us. So God, I pray that you would move in hearts. I pray that you convict souls this morning. Help us to pursue you. Help us to love you. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to climb that never-ending ladder. Help us to pursue and eat that never-ending loaf of bread that is you. Oh, we love you. Speak to souls right now. Help us to surrender. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.